Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shear, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, we're continuing the saga of the Julio-Claudian dynasty, from the beginning this time. We're going back even before the events of the first Julio-Claudian episode back in episode 5. It's time we talk about Julius Caesar and the first triumvirate. A triumvirate is a group of three people holding, supposedly, equal power. The first triumvirate was made up of Julius Caesar and the politicians Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, more commonly called Pompey the Great, and Marcus Licinius Crassus. Before Caesar became dictator in perpetuity, the first triumvirate was more or less the beginning of the end for the Roman Republic. Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus were the three most powerful men in Rome at the time, and, as anyone who knows history should know, when multiple powerful men come together in an attempt to form an alliance of equal power, well, it never goes well. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to the late Roman Republic of the mid-first century BCE in One for All and All for Caesar. Let's take a brief look at the politics of the Roman Republic. There were two major factions within the Roman Senate, the Populares and the Optimates. It's also important to note that these were not political parties as we know them in the modern sense. Roman senators were pretty much their own person instead of a face representing a group of ideals like a modern politician in a political party. There was no true conservative-liberal divide, though historians usually tend to call the Optimates the conservative faction. So instead of saying that a senator was a member of the Populares or Optimates, instead think of them as caring more about the power of the people or the Senate. The Populares were a political faction that made their main goal to enact legislation benefiting the common citizen of Rome. The faction was founded somewhere between 130 and 120 BCE by the Gracchii brothers, Tiberius and Gaius. Some of their main goals included revamping the grain distribution to Roman citizens as well as overhauling citizenship throughout the Republic, mainly for the non-Roman people living in Italy. The Populars were usually the party with less control over the Senate. Ironically though, for a party that was for the cause of the commoner, the Populares faction included several powerful aristocratic members of Roman society. For instance, both Julius Caesar and Octavian, the future Emperor Augustus, were members of the Populares. In fact, it was really because Julius Caesar was a member of the Populares faction that made him so beloved during his time as consul and dictator. He used his advanced platform to enact much of the Populares legislation that had previously been unable to gain a foothold due to their opponents in the Senate. Their opponents were the Optimates, who were sometimes referred to as the Boni, which means, I kid you not, the good men. And I just want to let you all know that I find that very funny. It's like, yeah, here are the two factions of Roman politics. Over there, you have the party that fights for the rights of the common people, and then over there are the good guys. It kind of reminds me of how the Republican Party of the United States also calls themselves the Grand Old Party. Like, you have an actual name, why are you trying to make yourself sound more impressive? And don't get on me with the, come on, don't get political. This is a history show about people in politics. I don't know what you expect. 
The Optimates stood for the power of the Senate. It was their belief that the Senate existed to guide the Roman people. It's not to say that they didn't believe in freedom for Roman citizens or anything like that. It was basically, why does our institution exist if not to be the leaders of the people? Among this group were people like Cato and Cicero, both famous orators and philosophers, as well as Crassus and Pompey. At least he will be by the end of the story. And before we actually get into the story of the Triumvirate, let's very briefly talk about a man named Sulla. I'm not going to give his whole story, because he's very important and might get an episode at some point. Basically, he was a military leader and statesman who brought back the position of dictator of Rome after no one had held the position for over a century. He'll also play a part in the early stories of Triumvirs. He's sometimes referred to as the precursor to Julius Caesar. It was his ideals over being the sole ruler of Rome that would go on to inform the power plays seen in the latter part of the Triumvirate story. Not to spoil the story from the very beginning, but I'm willing to bet that when I originally mentioned the members of the Triumvirate, you might have only known one of them, maybe two. There's a reason everyone knows about Julius Caesar, but not Pompey the Great and Crassus. So let's begin our tale by learning about the two lesser-known triumvirs. We'll start with Marcus Licinius Crassus. Crassus was born in 115 BCE, making him the oldest member of the triumvirate by about a decade. His father was once a consul and military commander in Roman-occupied Spain, where he led a well-established career. His father would fight within the forces of Sulla in a Roman civil war, where Papa Crassus would later commit suicide after the war turned in favor of Sulla's enemies. At first, Crassus would flee from Rome to Spain out of fear of being put to death due to his father's actions. Eventually, young Crassus, well not really young but more like in his late 20s, would gather former soldiers loyal to his father back when Papa Crassus was a commander in Spain. He then kinda bullied his way from Spain through Africa and up to Greece, amassing quite a bit of money from local towns in order to pay for the expedition. Eventually, he met up with Sola and would go on to become one of Sola's greatest commanders. He would even end up fighting alongside Pompey during this time. After the war, which was a resounding success for Sola and his armies, Crassus quickly got to work amassing a humongous fortune by taking seized property that had belonged to Sola's enemies. His fortune became so great that Crassus is thought to be the richest man in Roman history. According to Plutarch, a very famous Greek philosopher from the first century, Crassus's wealth amounted to somewhere around 11 billion modern US dollars. Another major event that Crassus was involved with was the rebellion led by Spartacus. You know, the gladiator, played by Kirk Douglas in a movie, has had several TV shows. I hate to do this twice in one episode, but I really want to tell Spartacus's story in a future episode, so we'll skip over that for now. Just know that it ends with both Crassus and Pompey receiving massive honors when they return to Rome. However, Despite Crassus doing most of the dirty work against the uprising, it was Pompey who received a triumph, basically a massive military parade in honor of someone. Most important figures in Roman history received several triumphs whether they earned them or not. Not to be knocked down by the improper recognition, Crassus decided to pursue a more active role in the Roman government. 
he and Pompey became co-consuls in 70 BCE, a position Crassus used to gain even more wealth. However, his political career did not end up being the path to greatness he had hoped. Just like with Spartacus, Pompey overshadowed Crassus. Pompey would forever remain his greatest rival. Crassus would later go on to become censor, a magistrate in charge of public morals, tax collection, and the public census. His two greatest desires as censor, expanding Roman citizenship to include some of Gaul as well as annexing Egypt, both proved to be massive failures. He was forced to abandon the position in the year 65 BCE. Crassus then decided to take a more passive role in Roman politics. He became a mentor and patron to some of the younger politicians, the most famous of which was Gaius Julius Caesar. Let's now move on to Pompey the Great. I probably could have done a whole Were They Great episode over Pompey, but his story is so intertwined with Caesar and Crassus that it made more sense to just cover him in this episode. Pompey is known as being one of the greatest, if not the greatest, commanders in the history of the Roman Republic. It was due to his military successes that he gained the name Pompey Magnus, aka Pompey the Great. In a rather funny side note, Crassus would often respond to mentions of the cognomen Magnus, which means both great and large, with, why, how big is he? Pompey's upbringing isn't too far off from Crassus's, and they both had a very Roman aristocratic early life. Pompey Magnus was born in 106 BCE, making him the second oldest member of the triumvirate. Pompey's father was the first member of his family to become a senator. Papa Pompey was also a military commander who fought alongside Sulla. And just like Papa Crassus, Papa Pompey also died during Sulla's civil war. It said Pompey's father died either from an illness or that he was struck by lightning and died. Obviously, one of those makes a much better story. After the death of Papa Pompey, Pompey would be put on trial in place of his father over charges of theft, because that's how the legal system worked in ancient Rome. Pompey was acquitted because the judge liked the kid and ended up having Pompey marry his daughter. They would get divorced four years later. Inheriting his father's armies, Pompey fought alongside Sulla in his civil war. Sulla was so impressed with young Pompey, at this point 25 years old, that he ordered a triumph be held for the young man despite the fact that Pompey did not actually hold the correct social rank to be given one. In 79 BCE, Sulla arranged the marriage between Pompey and his daughter Musia. This was actually Pompey's third marriage. It was around this time that Pompey gave himself the cognomen Magnus, which he is said to have taken after his boyhood hero Alexander the Great. From here, Pompey was shipped off to become a Roman military hero in Spain. He had many military victories which further solidified his status as a Roman celebrity. At the end of his tenure in Spain, Pompey would go and steal all the glory from Crassus during Spartacus's rebellion. Of course, as stated before, Pompey would then be given a triumph, his second. From then on, he and Crassus became co-consuls even though Pompey did not have the correct qualifications to become consul, but the rules were waived for him because, well, he was Pompey Magnus. After his year as consul, in 67 BCE, 
Pompey took to the seas to handle the piracy problems the Republic was facing on the Mediterranean Sea. He was supposed to have control of the navy for three years in order to solve the problem. He put down the pirates in three months. Bouncing off from that success, Rome shipped Pompey off to deal with King Mithridates VI in southern Turkey and King Tigranes II in Armenia. Rome had been at war with these kings for several years at this point under several disappointing commanders. And of course, Pompey did what Pompey does best. He defeated both kings. Due to his victories, Pompey allowed Rome to gain three new provinces, Bithynia and Pontus and Turkey, and the Roman province of Syria, which was actually made up of parts of Syria, Turkey, and Lebanon. It was not until 61 BCE when Pompey finally returned to Rome, where he was given his third and largest triumph, which was celebrated on his 45th birthday. Originally, when Pompey was returning home, people feared he was going to march his armies on the city and name himself king. Crassus actually left Rome with his family during this time, though historians think this was more so to perpetuate the rumors rather than Crassus actually believing them. Though maybe there was still a little bit of fear surrounding Pompey after his return, the Senate ended up ruling against him when Pompey tried to bring legitimacy to the many settlements he had founded in the eastern provinces. Surprisingly, or maybe not, this opposition came from the Optimates. At this point, Pompey was actually considered a member of the Populares. Nonetheless, Pompey spent the next year as a member of the Senate. However, things changed when, in 60 BCE, a man holding the title of Imperator returned to Rome from Spain, the man who had changed the lives of both Crassus and Pompey. For the better? It was only a matter of time before Julius Caesar actually came into the story with full force, as he does in all things. We've already done an episode over Caesar, so I don't need to tell his story. Go back and listen to episode 5 if you missed that. But where do we find him now? Caesar had been governor of Hispania, the Roman province in Spain. He was set to return in hopes of becoming consul. Just one thing stood in his way. Oddly enough, it was the fact that Caesar was set to receive a military triumph for his victories in Spain. In order to become a consul, you have to be a private citizen in Rome, meaning you have to actually be in the city when you declare your desire to run for consul. But here's the thing, when you get a military triumph, you can't actually enter the city beforehand. Caesar hoped that he could get someone to announce his candidacy in place of him, but the Senate adamantly refused, especially Cato. So Caesar had to decide between his desire to become consul or receiving the military triumph he had been granted. Caesar chose to pursue consulship over a triumph, but even with that he found his own set of challenges. Just like with Pompey before him, the Senate was not too keen on having Caesar rule. As a member of the Populares, and a very popular member of the faction at that, he was seen as an enemy to the more conservative Optimates. He would need all the help he could get in order to achieve his dream job. Luckily, there happened to be another member of the Senate who was having trouble with the Optimates. Pompey. Pompey saw in Caesar the chance to get the legislation passed he had hoped to achieve post-wartime. 
Caesar saw in Pompey a very powerful ally who could help back his rise to power. But that's still only two members of a three-man band. Why did Caesar and Pompey bring Crassus into the fold? Especially considering that Pompey hated Crassus and Crassus despised Pompey. The thing is, we don't know with 100% certainty why. Obviously, there are speculations that have a lot of backing to them. Crassus was just as powerful as Pompey and Caesar, and had also faced his fair share of humiliation from the Senate. Also, as said before, it's believed that Crassus had already been Caesar's mentor in some capacity. In fact, some historians from the time period believed Crassus wanted to make himself dictator and was going to use Caesar to do so. There's not really any evidence to support this, but they also say Caesar got cold feet before the plan could go through. Some way, somehow, Caesar got the two rivals to put their mutual hatred aside for the moment so they could become a three-man force within Rome. They all agreed to a pact to support one another's ambitions of power and to oppose any legislation that one of them disapproved of. In a show of good faith, Caesar also gave his daughter Julia to Pompey in marriage. Yeah, kinda yikes considering she was 30 years younger than him and only 16 at the time. Nevertheless, it really did help solidify the bond. And when 59 BCE rolled around, Caesar was elected as one of the consuls of Rome. Caesar was obviously very popular, and his co-consul, Marcus Calpurnius Bibulus, was pretty unpopular. In fact, at one point, he was thrown down a flight of stairs and had garbage thrown at him. It didn't take too long for Bibulus to disappear from public life, leaving Caesar as essentially a singular consul. This was a lucky stroke of fate on Caesar's part because Bibulus had constantly vetoed any of the legislation Caesar had presented that had been originally created by Pompey. So now, Pompey Magnus had the land for his soldiers and his new towns. After his consulship, Caesar shipped off with his armies for Gaul in order to continue the Roman pastime of unlawfully slaughtering the Celtic people. And as Caesar does with any military campaign he makes, he received high praise from Rome and became even more celebrated and powerful. He would continue this campaign in Gaul for almost the next decade, leaving Pompey and Crassus on the home front in Rome. With Caesar's popularity growing once more, so too did jealousy rear its ugly head again in both Pompey and Crassus. Why was Caesar the one to get all the glory? Though not for nothing, Pompey was given the title of Prefectus Anonai, who was the magistrate in charge of grain supply and distribution, a very important job in the Roman Republic. This was clearly not enough, and apparently even Caesar could tell that his allies were beginning to waver on their joint agreement. In April of 56 BCE, Caesar invited both Pompey and Crassus to the town of Lucca, which is in present-day Italy, but was back then part of the province of Cisalpine Gaul, which Caesar ruled as governor during his campaign. In Lucca, the trio reaffirmed their promises to one another. Both Pompey and Crassus would run for consulship for the following year, and Caesar would send home a large number of soldiers who would vote for his companions. In exchange for this new chance, 
Pompey and Crassus would give Caesar the right to command troops and governing Gaul for another five years. The plan was a rousing success, and the three men found themselves back together in power for a time. At the end of their consulship in 55 BCE, Pompey and Crassus made themselves governors of Hispania and Syria respectively. Pompey, despite being governor of a far western province, would remain in Rome to oversee things. Crassus quickly moved out to the farthest eastern expanses of the Roman Republic in order to wage war against the Parthians, an empire out of Iran that buttered up against Rome's eastern provinces. Meanwhile, Caesar was still killing the people of Gaul. Everything was going great. Until it wasn't. Julia, the daughter of Julius Caesar and wife of Pompey, passed away in 54 BCE during childbirth. She had already been in ill health after a previous miscarriage the year before caused by a premature labor, which in turn was caused by a stress set upon her by Julia believing Pompey had been murdered during a riot at an election. It seemed as if her life had actually been the one thing that kept Pompey and Caesar's relationship going. After she died, the relationship started coming apart at the seams. But at least it was a three-man operation, right? Crassus would still be there to keep the triumvirate strong, right? Well, maybe he would have if he hadn't been killed during his war against the Parthians in 53 BCE. There's a lot of strange rumors about Crassus' post-mortem, so skip ahead a little bit if you don't want to hear the gross details about all that. Still here? Okay, so one story goes that the Parthians poured molten gold into the mouth of Crassus' corpse in order to mock his wealth he had amassed in Rome. Another story goes that he was beheaded, and the head was taken to the king of the Parthians. The king was watching a play at the time, when one of the actors took the head of Crassus in place of a prop decapitated head he was supposed to be using. A final story goes that the Parthians took one of Crassus's soldiers who resembled him and paraded him around the city streets in a parody of a Roman triumph. Back in Rome, things were going a bit crazy. There were calls for Pompey to be proclaimed dictator in order to keep peace in Rome, but this notion was quickly shot down. However, during the election for the consulship of 52 BCE, things got so crazy that violence erupted over who should be elected. In a surprise move by Bibulus, Caesar's unpopular co-consul in 59, he recommended that Pompey should be elected as a sole consul instead of having the usual two, because it was better to have one man as consul rather than anarchy. The motion passed, and Pompey was elected singular consul for the year 52 BCE. Word soon spread that Caesar wanted to come home in order to run for consul once more. At this point in history, Caesar was basically at a point where he could have become king of Rome if he really wanted. Both Pompey and the Optimates, who Pompey had now warmed up to, knew this. In a move that was actually illegal, the Senate voted for Caesar to disband his troops before returning to Rome in 50 BCE. Caesar had said he would do so if Pompey disbanded the troops under his command, but Pompey had relented, thus forcing the Senate to vote. 
Caesar had been hoping to maintain his armies and become consul because he knew that would give him immunity from the Senate in terms of prosecution for, you know, the war crimes he committed. Caesar's complete conquest of Gaul and then a further invasion of Britain were actually considered illegal since the Senate had not granted him that right. Caesar refused to back down, and Pompey led a vote to condemn his former triumvir as an enemy of the state. With no other path towards his goal but forward, on January 10th, 49 BCE, Caesar led the 13th legion to a river that made up the border between Cisalpine Gaul and Italy. Knowing that this would fully make him a traitor in the eyes of the government of Rome, Caesar crossed the river, the Rubicon. And, as that saying goes, there was no turning back now. Now, here's the thing. Caesar only had one legion when he crossed the Rubicon into Italy. There were more legions of soldiers actually in Italy at this time who were loyal to the Senate. But Pompey and the Senate kinda just didn't know this for some reason. If they had just waited and used their forces, Caesar probably could have been defeated. But no. Instead, Pompey decided to hightail it out of Rome with a bunch of optimate senators and his legions, leaving the city for Caesar. This was the beginning of what is historically known as Caesar's Civil War. Now with Rome for himself, Caesar gathered several more legions until he actually did have a powerful army at his command. But here's something else. Caesar didn't necessarily want to fight Pompey. In the early stages of the war, he actually reached out to Pompey several times to ask him if they could set aside their current affairs and be the triumvirate again. You know, that classic two-person triumvirate. Unfortunately for Caesar, Pompey refused these requests, insisting that he was Caesar's superior, despite running away immediately at the first sign of trouble. Pompey was backed into a corner in southern Italy and decided to make a break for it into Greece. Now with Italy completely for his own, Caesar instead got to work dispatching Pompey's troops in Spain. No need to fight a war on two fronts. After taking care of Spain, in December of 49 BCE, Caesar returned to Rome where he was declared dictator and once more elected as consul for the year 48. With both military and political power under his control, it was now time for Caesar to turn his eye to Pompey himself. Taking his armies into the Greek province, Caesar and Pompey clashed at the Battle of Dyrrhachium in July of that year. Much to Pompey's surprise, Caesar's army was actually losing the battle. It was so surprising to him, in fact, that Pompey thought their retreat was actually part of Caesar's grand plan. So instead of pursuing the army and toppling Caesar's reign, Pompey held back, allowing his enemy to come up with a new plan. And I'll say here that Pompey is being an absolute idiot. While Caesar's civil war is definitely considered a major historical affair, it should have been more interesting. You have two of the greatest Roman military minds of all time at odds with each other, and then one of them just keeps being dumb and making mistakes. Pompey fled Rome when he could have initially outnumbered Caesar, 
he ran away again, allowing Caesar to destroy any hopes of reinforcements. He then refuses to land the killing blow at the Battle of Dyrrhachium. Pompey is just being so frustrating. So with Pompey's ineptitude, Caesar was able to craft a new plan of attack. On August 9th, 48 BCE, near Pharsalus in Greece, the two armies once more battled it out. Despite having the much larger army, Pompey's forces were no match for Caesar's plan. He once again fled the field of battle, this time across the Mediterranean into Egypt, hoping to find safety in the halls of Pharaoh Ptolemy XIII, the brother of Cleopatra. Instead of a safe haven, Pompey actually met his end when he was assassinated by Ptolemy's men, thus bringing an end to the great commander of Rome. Caesar pursued Pompey's troops into Egypt and had a whole thing with Cleopatra that I won't be discussing in this episode. It's said that he was presented the head of Pompey, but upon seeing it, Caesar wept. But Caesar could not stick around in Egypt. He still had to tackle Pompey's remaining armies, led by members of the Optimates. He waged war for several more years until the last of his enemies were defeated in 45 BCE. From there, Caesar was finally allowed to return to Rome, hero of his people. And, well, we all know how the story went from there. I'm gonna give a hot take here. The story of the first triumvirate is an extremely interesting story about three absolute idiots. I mean, at the end of the day, it's three rich and powerful men refusing to just be friends and equals with each other. You know, go figure, I don't know what I expected. And despite any thoughts you might have had about Caesar being this story's protagonist and hero, I do want to let you know that Julius Caesar was a horrible human being. I didn't go into his campaigns against the Celtic people in Gaul and Britain because I want that to be a separate story outside of the Julio-Claudian narrative, but he very much committed mass atrocities in Western Europe. But hey, I hope I piqued your interest with at least several future episode teases throughout the story. Like, I barely mentioned Cicero, and he's sometimes seen as a fourth member of the Triumvirate, but his story needs to be told by itself. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. We'll be back in the Americas, specifically Mexico, for the next episode of Royally Screwed. It's a bitter clash between the old world and the new world as we dive into the story of Montezuma II. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.